The following audio is from the King's Chapel. You can find out more about our church at thekingschapel.org. Let me just share this. I, I, maybe I'm wrong to do this, but I wept when I saw uh, the results of the election in Virginia. You don't have to agree with anything I'm saying. Yes. Because there is such stress in our culture. There is such heartbreak in our culture on a hundred levels. The Haiti situation, so many, I'm not going to catalog them, but this I know. The answer to all questions and problems is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. There is no other answer. There is no other hope. He said very exclusively, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God apart from him. You know, as we go through life, we're going, today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul yet again. And we're getting to the end of his story, but we need to establish truth. I believe uh, repetition is the mother of knowledge. I believe repetition is the mother of knowledge. I believe, okay, enough of that. The idea here is that as we establish truth and then repeat it, and I, I, I'm a little bit of a memory expert because my memory is horrible. I can't remember any names unless I learned them by rote, and I was a <laughs> professional actor at one point in my life. Oh, my gosh. And learning lines was a nightmare, and you'll get these genius people. They learn everything just like this. Well, here's, here's what I want you to know. A the Lord is establishing truth here. He repeats the story in three different ways, at least three different uh, versions or approaches as the Apostle Paul comes through. And I, I think everything is part of a divine plan. And repetition is there for a reason, to establish truth in our life. Here's something we can repeat from time to time. This is from Mark. I don't have it up there on the uh, uh, screen, but it says this, Mark 13, 9 through 11. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you up to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues, maybe even kidnapped in Haiti. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be preached, proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you, here's the key sentence perhaps for the whole sermon. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. This morning, someone prayed, God bless you for praying at Mark's message, everything. It's the same message we've been declaring almost every week. We can't, he can, I think we need to let him. All of our addictive behavior often has its roots in our anxieties and fears. That is one of the things, our angers, our bitterness, our resentment, all kinds of things that need to be thorns plucked out by the Holy Spirit of God. There are processes, we are involved in the P word process here, that are scary every day. And how we deal with those problems and processes it may or may not set us free or trap us in sad and repetitive uh, habits uh, and hang-ups that can really hurt us. Processes, 
because all of us at some point do some kind of presentations. Maybe it's done at the office. You have to talk to somebody. You have to confront somebody. You have to go through something with a cop when he pulls you over or your wife and you are having problems or maybe you're going to a courtroom for something. I don't know the massive number of processes and problems out here uh, uh, that present themselves. Sometimes, as in Paul's case here, there are potentates. There are authorities that are scary even over a nation and over a land and the anxieties that caused me to weep need to be an alarm bell and they are and they were that I need not to trust in myself or in men but in Jesus Christ and him crucified. There are persons that can bug us and hurt us, but if we will let go and let God and say, God, fill our hearts with love, we can't do this life, only you can. Be on your guard. And when things happen, here's, here's the solution, here's the antidote to the anxiety problem. What, say whatever is given you in that hour, the Lord says. Don't be anxious, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. I have to step into lives almost every day of my life. And I'm telling you, this is not an easy job. And even in the best things the Lord does. When this church started out, we, it was me and Dr. Kavanaugh, and yes, some others like the Whites, etc., peripherally out there, but it was just two little families that was, was the nugget of what started this place. And for a period of time, uh, a short period, thankfully, we had very few people, so we had a lot of time on our hands. And a little bit, a little self-pity can creep in there like, Lord, I believed you called me to start a church here. What, what will I do? Or what can I do in this situation? And he whispers to your heart, I have not forgotten you. I have not forsaken you. And all of a sudden, a long story short, over a short period of time, relatively short period of time, during this kind of rest period, it wasn't a rest period, it was very tough. I'm going to, uh, I, I get a phone call. Will you please come to this particular meeting with the governor to pray with, with his group of people around him as he, whatever, runs for office. I can't even remember what it was. I had met with the governor, George Allen, when I was a kid at UVA. We sat there and watched TV together, great guy. But at any rate, um, then it went to the Virginia State House. They called that I would pray there. Then it was the United States Senate. They called I would pray there. I'm nobody. I have a church of nothing burger. And yet God selected me, chose me in my weakness and frailty to do something for him. He had not forgotten his servant. And he has not forgotten you no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through. I see people almost breaking under the stresses of this moment, and not simply politically or not simply economically, but in the secret hearts of families, in friendships, in all kinds of things. And here is the answer. It is to do something and say something like this. Remember, Dr. Earl Morey, one of my mentors, said when he was hearing me stressing out over something, he said, turn it over. Turn it over. And then Gene Heck um, uh, Barbara Heck's husband now with the Lord. He was here. He's basically with his daughter Sarah built this building. Unbelievable man. And he would say whenever I was stressing and he had to listen to me time after time and he said, have you said thank you? <laughs> have you said thank you? That God, he, he was saying by extension and I got it, was using all these things for my good 
and for his glory. The Apostle Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I will not nullify the grace of God. In all these situations where I'm called in both, God was encouraging me and he was giving me words. I go into one uh, a denominational church. They were kind enough to have a Christian Performing Arts Fellowship there and I get up to speak and it's nerve-wracking enough. And the pastor's here, God bless him, you don't know him. And he walked over and whispers to me, keep it short. You know, I'm like, <laughs> wow, I feel my esteem is just climbing. It was not climbing. But it wasn't tunneling either, because I, I was going to keep it short. And uh, I went through and I talked to a very packed uh, room, people who were just wonderful. And some of them probably knew me. And at the end of the thing, they were so kind and so sweet. And at the end of the thing, the pastor got up and said to the congregation, he goes like this, because it was the gospel, I just told them about the grace of God. And he walks over and he goes, you listen to everything this man just said. Because it was the simple truth of grace extended to sinful men by a loving God. Simple story. Well, here's the Apostle Paul. He's facing something that is so scary, so frightening, that it defies description. He is going to do, as the title of this said, he's going to stand before a king. That is a nerve-wracking thing to be in these kinds of situations. But if you know and love the Lord, you will have these moments where he brings you before the boss or before any kind of individual that maybe is scary for you. And what are you to do with that? Then Agrippa, the king, said to Festus, governor of, of, of Caesarea, the governor actually of the whole area in a sense, two powerful men in Paul's world, I would like to hear the man myself. He's talking about a desire to be, in essence, entertained. Agrippa and his sister Bernice wanted to come visit with um, the governor of the, of, of the thing, Festus, and hear this one man. The guy's a prisoner. The guy's supposedly a rabble rouser, and you know all that if, if you've been here. He really is trying to receive, he's not trying to, he is receiving, at least verbally, a death sentence from the Jewish people who are his brethren according to the flesh, according to birth and race. And Agrippa says, I'd like to hear this guy. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice come in with great pomp. It's one of the most dramatic scenes in the scripture. I cannot do it justice. All I know is he comes with great pomp. He is a king. He was really kind of a, a vassal of the Romans. He had been raised in Rome. He had been taught in Rome. He was more Roman than Jewish. But he was titularly, in terms of title, the man who was kind of running the whole area. He didn't have much power, as we'll see some four, five, six years after this moment, because the Romans come in, a war ensues, one million people are killed, 100,000 people are taken prisoner. One of the uh, most nightmarish situations in human history, and this guy was presiding over it as the Titanic that was his life and his community and his people went down. But here he is, right before that moment, being able to listen to perhaps the most important voice, I would say the most important voice on the planet, 
That is the love of God. The love of God throws a life preserver out to save this, this man, this benighted man. And his life is a nightmare. Just to hit, hit this quickly, just side information. Agrippa was a king. His sister was his consort, the one he's traveling with. And in all likelihood, they were involved in an impure relationship. I'm being nice and saying it that way. Now they come in with pomp and ceremony. Some describe it, they're robed in red or purple or whatever the particular color, power color was of the moment. There were probably gold uh, circlets, crowns upon them. There were soldiers behind them, tribunes and, and, and centurions watching over them, all decked out and ready for a scene. It's a, something in a theater in essence. Let's say they're all here behind it, this couple and, and the governor of the state. And a tremendous drama. It's as if a play or an opera is going to begin right down there. And then they bring in... This tiny little Jewish guy, bandy-legged, as some would say, bald. Uh, an unsightly individual who's been spending his time in prison and comes in with his, his arms chained. And he strolls down the aisle. You know, I read of, uh, in preparation about a, a missionary physician whose name was uh, Wilfred uh, Grenfell. And uh, he ended up ministering in the most northern parts of Canada in the most scary circumstances, cold, horrible, etc. But he was utterly committed to Christ. And one man was in a room on board a ship. And he felt, he felt, he said, Grenfell come into the room. The sense of the spirit of God on that particular man because of his call and ministry was so powerful. He could sense, maybe he just saw people looking around, but they could sense that there was some man here who had sacrificed everything for the kingdom of God. You know, our prayer should be every day, oh God, use me. Oh God, don't make me nerve-wracked and crazy because I am so weak and powerless in myself. You should exult in that because when we are weak, he is strong. Agrippa and Bernice come with great pomp. They entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus and King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all and especially before you, King Agrippa, Agrippa had been in the court. He was friends with the emperor. He had family relationships with the emperor's family. He says, I'm bringing to you so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. This is how nakedly ridiculous this trial was. And there are a lot of those in our day. I may have something to write for. It seems unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against them. Justice had gotten himself into a difficult situation in taking Paul on. As far as he was concerned, in his conscience and heart and intellect, Paul hadn't done a thing wrong. This was a dramatic moment. And Paul comes in and you're expecting him to be shaking, breaking down in tears, falling on the floor, beating his tiny fists against the ground at the indignity and ridiculousness of the situation. But no such 
thing happen. This little man comes in the room and similar to Grinfill. I, I think, I'm just going to hypothesize that a strange ethereal power also walks in with this innocent man. Very similar in nature to that which followed his Lord and Master Jesus. And he just stands there before him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself then Paul stretched forth his hand and made his defense. Now, forgive my imagination here, but I don't think he stretched out his hand like that. I don't believe that. Here's what he did. He stretched out his hand to encompass the world. And the people in that room, as bad as they were, many of them, and the soldiers behind him, and the potentates around him, and he raised his hand or in front of him and he raises his hand in a loving gesture and he begins, I consider myself fortunate. It is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Remember, ask, admire, admit, ask questions of people to establish relationships, admire something about them, and then admit your needs. He's going to do all of that in this passage. I'm going to make my defense today especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am being accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. Now he is going to admit Admit who he is. Humble himself before these people to gain a hearing, to grasp their attention. I did so. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, in the place where God was to dwell, in the people that were his very own in the synagogue. I punished these people to make them blaspheme and enraging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, the strange thing about Christianity and, and its purveyors, those who speak like I do, like I did that particular moment in that, that church, what you don't know is I, I told some trashy things about myself and my lifestyle. And you know, it gets really quiet at that point. And I thought about saying some things to you this morning that, that I haven't said places and I'm not going to. I'll spare you that. But there was a man named Brownlow, um, uh, I want to say his last name was uh, uh, North. That's what it, Brownlow North. And his like grandfather was one of the foremost, uh, uh, we'll call him priests of his day in England. Uh, but Brownlow North was no such guy. He was uh, brilliant in his own way, but he had been one hard individual. He was a sailor for years. He traveled with the roughest of crowds. But Christ had received him cleansed him and renewed him and made him such an effective evangelist that he spoke to crowds of up to 12,000 people. 
And North is going to preach in a church like this, and a letter is sent to him, and the letter says this, Mr. North, if you say anything in that church, I'm gonna stand up right there in the room, stand up and tell exactly what you did prior to becoming a Christian. I'm gonna declare it to the whole congregation. And, and apparently it was pretty disturbing. And so what North does is he goes to the church, he refuses to relent, and he pulls out a letter. He opens the letter and he begins to read it. And he reads every foul thing in the thing. He said, this is what I once was. And this is what Christ has done to me to save me and change my life. He admitted who he was apart from Christ and then gave them reason, those in the room, to hope that Jesus could love them because he had loved Brownlow North. The Apostle Paul says, you cannot be a more serious and dedicated Jew than I was even though I was barking up the wrong tree. I have persecuted these people to the death. I have done all that I can with the little life that I have. And he used the as Barclay said about one person, the evidence of his shame to turn it into the very glory of God. What we cannot do to fix ourselves, Jesus Christ can do for us. The center of the whole message, that the reason we are here it's because of the resurrection of the dead. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ has made alive. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. He's back to telling his sad story. At midday, O king, I was on the way, and a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, two things to say here, light follows redemption and resurrection. There is a light. Paul had been living in darkness. And then it says he heard a voice saying to him in the Hebrew language, the God who loved him and came in Christ to save him, speaks to him in a language that he can understand. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was hard for you to kick against the goads. These are goads that animals are goaded by to make them do the right thing. Paul is kicked and kicked and kicked against the God who loved him, and he has tormented the very people who have come to Jesus Christ. And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the, your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, a central issue in Christianity is repentance. But guess who gives the power to repent? Our own weak filaments, our own weak muscles, our, our semi-not potent legs. What is it that picks us up and puts us on our feet? An unearthly power, a heavenly gift 
the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, coming and living inside people. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he could proclaim, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. Where are you stressed? Where are you breaking down? Where do you need light? Jesus Christ is here. It is no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you and the life you live in this world. You need to live in the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, else you'll be broken by the craziness that is the darkness of this world. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind, you'll note here, and I'm almost going ready to conclude. He at least admires Paul's genius, and wherever Paul went, he was the brightest man in the room. But he says, it's made you mad and crazy. He's basically saying the resurrection did not happen. Let me just say this to you. Noah had an ark, he has animals in it, he's, he floats the thing, he builds the thing. It's a kind of an outrageous kind of kid's story. It made me crazy, you know, as an atheist. It's like, are you guys serious? Are you serious? But I sought the Lord about it, you know, in one day, and, and then I see in my mind's eye that I'm on a planet hurtling through space like a giant ark, and there are little animals, millions, billions, all over it, and it's going somewhere, and something is forcing it into that, and something created it. It is no different in essence than the ark. What is my big surprise about Noah's ability to do what seems to be impossible if God put us on this ark? Having said that, and think about it at night sometime, it will make you positively, wondrously amazed, but also perplexed at the wonder of a God that in the final analysis you will never fully understand, certainly not in this life. I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And then we conclude, and I'll use your name, all of you, any of you. He used King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? Well, we don't. Aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily from a Jewish background, but the prophets pointed to the coming of a Messiah, more than 300 verses uh, the Jewish people alleged spoke to that. I know that you believe, he says to Agrippa, who was Jewish, as was Bernice, although they were far more in their performance and, and lifestyle, far more Roman than Jewish. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, and here should be our heart, and here's what we need to be empowered to do. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar.
an innocent man, very similar to his master and the people that Paul had persecuted to the death, is now standing before this couple. And in some sense, they are convinced of his innocence. And yet history doesn't record any conversion, no turn. I don't know what to say about that. It has always been my heart. I don't want anyone to be lost. You don't want anyone to be lost. And yet, if we do not turn, we will reap what we sow in life. And that is not a happy outcome. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for grace and for an empowerment by your Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing, but in you we can do all things. Lord, in this hour, do not let us fantasize that we can change anyone's heart, but help us, Lord, we pray. Paul is there, the apostle, and these people do not change their hearts, at least not that we've seen. But Lord, we know that you have put us on this planet for a reason. You have called us to yourself, and you have said we will stand before people and give account for the hope that lies within us. And so, Lord, give us that grace, we pray. If you don't know Jesus Christ, here's the simplicity of it all. Call, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do, unlike Agrippa, is say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He will hear that prayer. He will cleanse you and renew you, and he will give you life. I ask you to do this now. In Jesus' name, amen.